You're listening to Decidedly Dry. I'm your host, Jess Steitzer. This is a sober podcast where we actually focus on the good. Amazing, right? We spark inspiration. We try to provide some hope and we help motivate you. I promise to always keep it real, provide some dry humor, and remind you every single episode why sobriety is truly a superpower. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, just head on over to decidedlydry.com. Thank you so much for pushing play today. Let's get started. Hello, 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 and welcome to season three of Decidedly Dry. I know I mentioned it my last episode, but man, it really does feel good to be back here in front of the mic and have the privilege of bringing to you some amazing, inspiring, and fascinating stories by some pretty remarkable women. Before I introduce you to this week's guest, I would just like to say thanks for pushing play today and for sticking with me. It means a lot. While I was on a break between seasons, I had a few listeners donate to the show, so I definitely want to make sure to say a huge thank you to Meg, Sabrina, and Emily. Thank you guys so much. It sure did touch my heart to read your sweet messages and just know that you are really enjoying the show. So thank you again. All right, so today's episode is featuring one of my fellow Sober Sisters. Her name is Peggy Cooney. Peggy resides in West Sacramento, California. She's been married for 35 years, and together they have five children and 12 grandchildren. As a social work instructor coach with a master's in social work, she has spent 16 years in child welfare in adult protective services as a social worker. Since getting sober, though, she has been a sobriety or become a sobriety advocate and has developed quite a following through Facebook, Instagram, and her website, This Side of Alcohol. She's got an incredible story, and I am thrilled for you to hear it. Please enjoy our chat. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is Jess at Decidedly Dry, and today I have Peggy. Hi, Peggy. Hi. I'm so glad. Oh, I'm so glad you're excited to be here. I'm excited to chat with you. And I just want to say thanks um, in advance for taking the time. It's really awesome to have guests that come on here and just are willing to share their story. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, my dear. Well, these chats are, are kind of similar to other chats I'm sure you've had before, but I like to start at the beginning. So if you could tell listeners just a little bit about yourself, who you are, if you have kids, where you live, all that good stuff. Great. Yeah, um, I am a, a social work instructor for University of um, uh, California, Davis. I've been doing that for about nine years before that. I was uh, a direct practice social worker for uh, counties and child welfare and adult protective services and public guardian and in-home supportive services. So we kind of did it all. It was in Calusa County, so a very small Northern California County. I am married and um, I have, we have a blended family. So we have five adult children. The last one's getting married um, this Saturday after Thanksgiving. So that's really exciting in our house and we have 12 grandchildren my daughter has two sets of twins so that kind of helped out with the with the grandchildren (laughs) that increased the total (laughs) a fourth of the grandchildren or a third of the grandchildren um and so yeah and and uh 
Before that, I had a dance studio, uh, an art and uh, theater and aerobics and dance studio for about six or seven years. And um, yeah, that's, that's amazing. A little bit of this and that, everything, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never really planned on being a social worker, but when we sold the studio, we had done some work for um, social services around tobacco education and mm. you know stuff like that. And so they would, um, you know, we would put on the Nutcracker for all the schools. And so we kind of got to know, um, you know, some of the at-risk kids. We were able to have those kids be able to take dance and not feel like, you know, um, we could scholarship them. And so they, you know, even, I don't even think the kids had any idea that they weren't paying for their lessons, but it was really, it was kind of a smooth shift into social work because it was sort of the same thing. Only um, uh, we didn't have those parents that said, I don't know why my kid's not in a higher class. (laughs) Right, right. uh, We had people that were a little more appreciative of, of, uh, prudent parenting, I guess you'd say. Yeah. So, yeah. How awesome. And 12 grandkids, you said. Mm-hmm. It's very, wow. that's why I'm still working. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. I want to hear more about that too, about the grandkids and everything. Um, before we get to all that, um, I just want to hear your history with alcohol. So yeah. kind of tell me when you started and when your relationship started to shift, feel free to share whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and it, I think it goes back. I think the the first, I guess where I'd really like to start is my first day as a social worker. My first client was um, a young mom who, who I walked into her house and there were two babies with um, diapers that had um, that, you know, were literally dripping across the floor and a seven-year-old and she was passed out on the couch. And I remember being a brand new social worker thinking, oh my gosh, how could that woman love uh, vodka more than her kids? Mm. That was my starting point in in my social work career. But as I, you know, got got educated, I I realized that that was one of the most ignorant statements on the planet to make. And I managed, you know, through a lot of childhood trauma. I lost my parents at 19. I lost a nine-month-old baby. Um, and I'd gone through a lot, but I, I drank, but only socially. Mm. And if I look back on it, um, I, the, the social drinking, it was never one or two glasses of wine. I, you know, probably what you might, you know, say is binge drinking, but it was far and few between, and it wasn't an issue for me. We didn't have alcohol in the house Mm. very rarely, unless we had people over, it just wasn't the center of my universe. And then um, I don't know how many people out there have had a blended family. It's very, it's very complicated. And no matter how you try to be a perfect step parent, I think it's really tough. Um, Our kids are super bonded. They're all in their thirties and forties now, but it was a challenge. You know, Um, I think it's hardest uh, most on, um, on stepmothers because you're, you know, kind of expected to make new traditions and still be in second place, if that makes sense. And so really, I didn't have a drinking problem until I was in my 50s, which is um, really interesting. Mm. So there's probably like four factors. One, menopause, which I never even associated until 
maybe a couple of years ago. It didn't even dawn on me that the insomnia that I had from, from um, going through menopause was, um, was kind of an impetus for me having a couple glasses of wine at night. But being a social worker is, it's not like you go into child welfare work or adult protective services work and think, oh my gosh, I'm never going to see abuse, right? I mean, it's part, you know that that's what's going to happen. But what you don't know is that the system trauma is what breaks your heart. And I, I know I've talked about this before in other podcasts, but it's, it's really important to understand that, you know, when kids disclose that they're abused and they're put in homes, you know, in homes with strangers, it just breaks your human heart. It just, and, and the more you see that and the more you can't talk about it, really, um, unless you're talking to other social workers, people don't get it. And on top of that, um, we had an incident at work, which is interesting, but I ended up being a whistleblower and I did it willingly. It was, you know, something that just happened. And I had a coworker that that came to me and um, disclosed that he was being abused by a manager. And so, of course, you know, I, I told HR and what happened for me is that I became the piranha, like it was all my mm. fault. And on top of that, I ended up having his job and the, the abuser's job and my job and my daughter, oh my was, gosh. And my daughter was getting married that year. So just a few things happening. Yeah, just a few things. And so I really realized that, you know, I was, that's when I really started drinking when I came home and I'm married to a financial analyst. He's a big, um, he's going to retire in, in March, but he has no clue in being in the private sector, what it's like to work in the government. Mm. And so he would say, oh, go do this or go do that. And it was just so unrealistic. Like they can't treat you that way. Well, they were treating me that way. So, so it was, I, I felt super alone. Like I had no one to talk to about it. And that's when I started drinking, you know, maybe it may be increasing my wine. And I was there for two more years after that. I, I was very stubborn, which is stupid. Um, I didn't want to leave before um, I could have my full retirement. So I stayed two more years and it, and it, it was one of those things where, you know, when I'd walk in the door, I could feel it in my gut. Like I, I'd be sure. instantly sick, just totally sick. And, um, and on top of that, we had, you know, we had families that are saying, you know, why should we trust you? Because this whole incident hit the local uh, news, the local headline news. And so you know, it was that, well, I didn't do that. I was a whistleblower. So can you trust right. me? Right. I was doing what was right. <laughs> so about um, two weeks before I retired, UC Davis called up and asked me to work for them. And I'm like, you want me to work for you? Like I, by that time I had zero self-confidence and felt so like worthless. And I was, you know, I was drinking too, but not during the day. I was all after. And also my husband was catching on. So he was, you know, sh you know, bitching at me about drinking and that sort of pushed it underground. Mm -hmm. I, I take full responsibility, but <laughs> it literally went into my closet because the more, you know, the more, um, and the addiction just started, you know, mm -hmm. kicking in. And two years into teaching, I, um, I won an outstanding service award 
for out of 1,750 instructors. And that night, I just, I went, Peggy, you have everything. Like you have healthy grandkids, you have healthy adults, adult children, you know, you're making good money. And yet I knew that night that, you know, that I, um, it was out of control for me. Mm. And I do think that if you're, and you know, if you um, feel pretty successful in your career, you honestly believe it's one thing you can handle, right? Because there were times I didn't drink. I didn't drink before my daughter's wedding for nine months. I didn't get any help. I just didn't drink. Um, but all it took for me was at the rehearsal dinner, you know, to have a glass of wine. And after, you know, after the wedding, not during the wedding, it was game on again. Right. And then there were times that I, you know, would go three months, four months and, and, um, and just believe in my heart, this, this, I've got to figure out how to, I've got to figure out how to uh, manage drinking. Like I can do everything else really well, but I, so I just, I almost had this stupid thought in my mind that I could, I could conquer, I could be a moderate drinker and then give it up. You know, like I wanted to prove to myself that I could drink like a normal person, which by that time, you know, um, I was, (laughs) it, it definitely had its claws in me. And then in 2019, um, and my not my, my colleagues were shocked that I had a drinking problem. They were just in, they had no idea, but of course my immediate family did. So, um, there were some incidents, some blackout incidents. Um, and then the last straw really was that, um, I drank too much after not during uh, a family reunion and, um, and my drinking caused such a fight between my husband and I that, that um, when my son came back to the cabin, you know, he almost took his head off. So um, in front of my four grandchildren. So that was really it for me. My daughter said, mom, if you don't do something about your drinking, you can't have the relationship you want with me and Jason and the kids. And I was done. I mean, I literally went into my, I've said this before, but I literally went into my bedroom and got down on my knees and said, and I'm not, a very faithful person I'm getting there and I heard this voice really strong and clear that said Peggy you're done and you're going to be okay yeah and um it hasn't been easy but that price was way too high for mm-hmm. me okay I mean I can still it chokes me up I can still see you know three-year-old and seven-year-old eyes looking at their uncle and their dad pulling, you know, my son off my husband. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a nice memory. It's not. And those are always hard because we have them, you know, and it keeps us on our course. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's still hard. Yeah. Those were my same words too. I looked in the mirror on my, my last day one and I said, you're done. Really? You're done. That's all I said. And actually, Jen, which we'll talk about, Jen, she mm-hmm. was the one I think I needed to hear it from her that said, uh, you're going to be OK. I'm like, it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. You'll be OK. So it was really kind of gave me goosebumps when you said those words. <laughs> I know it's similar to, you know, to a lot, a lot of people that that found uh, Jen from uh, Sober Sis is that my family really thought I needed to go into rehab and I knew I didn't, I knew I was done. I mean, I, I certainly 
had had to um, earn their trust back, but I knew mm-hmm. I was done. There was nothing. But so when I so after I got up, then um, I think it was just that afternoon. Jen's twenty one day reset <laughs> came right across my i my iPad, and Isn't I signed so immediately. Funny. I mean, I always yell about the fact that our phones are listening to us all the time. But I guess in this situation, I I always support it when we start getting those ads or, hey, look how this magically appeared. Um, But what a beautiful transition. My next question was, how did you remove it? What tools started to help you? So after you got up, you saw the ad. Was that, is that true? That's that's how it started? Immediately, at, while I was still at the cabin, my husband had left with no intention of coming back to our marriage. He did. Um, and I signed up and made my first uh, Marco Polo, you know, the video walkie-talkie. Oh, yeah. I look like a, I still have that picture. And I, I snapped it when, I, when we took it so I could keep it. And I just looked like a complete deer in a headlight, but then so did all of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. But that was two weeks before the actual start of the 21 day reset. So we really had, uh, at least 20 of us had a really nice way of bonding Good before the, before it even started. We're still friends. About six of us are still really close. I'm still friends with my Marco Polo girls too <laughs> from our reset. So you joined sober sis mm-hmm. and was that your main tool in the beginning? Did you mm-hmm. kind of just dive in with both feet and start reading reading the books, oh, yeah. the podcasts, reading. all the things, all the things, yeah. all the things. And, and, um, when I think Paul had been gone for, I don't know, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks. And when he did come home every once in a while, he was just pissed off. Right. So yeah, I kind of hid in my bedroom and, and read as much as I could. And, and I, um, you know, I write about it, but he, um, he read William Porter's, um, you know, alcohol explained, and that really did change his, mm-hmm. his um, viewpoint of, of addiction and yeah. how it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. So. Your responsibility. Yeah. Did you have any favorite books or podcasts that you really latched onto? I mean, definitely, definitely. It was, um, uh, Annie Grace's book. Um, again, you know, I'm kind of a science geek in the world of social work. So that just fit right in for me. And I think that message that it isn't your fault, um, it was really helpful um, for my husband. It was William Porter, but I think I read every single, I mean, if you saw my, my bedroom right now. <laughs> I, I really do need um, to join a support group for books. Yeah, me too. Me too. And why does the Amazon guy always show up when our husbands are home too? I, I mean, know. it's always like, really? Now? Oh, no. That's, good. that's <laughs> so good. That's so, so good. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then, oh, good. After that, I did Annie Grace's 100 day uh, okay. challenge. And then I did Stacey Danford's um, uh, uh, the gratitude boost, which wasn't necessarily um, recovery focused. And then I did Laura McCallum's We Are the Luckiest um, eight-week program. I, I've done just a ton of yeah. programs. Well, and I'm curious. So you have done a, a ton of different programs. What were some of the biggest tools that you took out of them? Like, do you have things that were very, I don't know, unique when you look at the different programs, like different things you took from one compared to the other? Uh, I don't I don't 
think the comparison, I think it's more the similarities mm -hmm. of number one, um, brain science, you know, that the, the science of what alcohol does to your brain um, is, is um, probably paramount. Um, really learning about meditation and breathing, something I've never done in my entire life. I've never been, you know, I, those, those of, um, out there that say they're sort of woo woo. That was like the most opposite of me that I could be. That was really helpful. Um, I was just talking to somebody today about, I think the one thing I got out of, um, we are the luckiest is, is one of the modules that was talking about shame, hmm. um, applied shame versus internal shame. And I think sometimes we can over, in, in recovery, we can overuse a lot of words, um, I guess, in anything. And um, shame always seems to be one of those main themes. And um, I think what, what really stuck with me is, is applied shame versus internal shame, where, um, you know, how do you get over those things um, that people apply to you like Peggy or almost pretty, or you talk too much, or you raise your hand too much, or you have too, you know, you talk to too many friends, you believe in people, um, you know, you, why can't you get straight A's like your cousin, you know, an A minus isn't good enough in our family. So all those things that people put on us, mm -hmm. I, I think it's easier to recover from that. If you know that that stuff isn't you, right? Right. Right. But also, when we talk about it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility, I think sometimes we ignore that internal shame that really guides our behavior that tells us, oh my gosh, Peggy, hiding wine in your boots in your closet is about as far from your integrity as you could go. Right. Or when your husband walks in the door and says, let's open a glass of, let's open a bottle of wine. And I've already had a whole bottle and I'm like, Hey, that's awesome. Right. <laughs> and then having him wonder how the hell I was so drunk with mm -hmm. a glass of wine. So I, I, I think you can use that internal shame for good and not always say, Oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't want to feel shame anymore. I think, I think shame has a purpose. If mm -hmm. it's yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. All right. So you did all the things big or small. What were some of the benefits you started feeling once you removed it? I think not alone. Um, what, and again, being a late later in life drinker, knowing that my brain is like restored to its original self. Right. You know, and, you know, even just the, you know, the theory, um, not the theory, the fact of neuroplasticity that, that, you know, your brain is growing until, you know, you leave the earth is very um, helpful to me. I've always been a learner. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I drank 150%. So I, so I got sober 150%. <laughs> um, you know, the, the ability to pay it forward, it really has become my entire um, passion. I love teaching, mm -hmm. um, but it's almost like my teaching funds my my passion now. And I really, right. that. Mm -hmm. I feel that to my core, <laughs> very, very relatable. Um, well, let's kind of focus on more of the good. So you have a book. I would love yeah. to hear all about that, how you got the idea to write it, what that process was, how it's mm -hmm. doing all the things. Okay. Um, at, uh, 
let's see. One of the things I gave myself when I when I joined Jen's program, she just happened to have a retreat in October. So my my sober date is July 12th. Um, she and so that was sort of a carrot I gave myself to fly to Fort Worth. There was only 63 of us, I think that, and that's the only uh, retreat she's been able to have. Thanks. To that's her. what I was going to ask. Was that her first one? And then yeah. she hasn't had another one yet, right? And she'll have one in April, um, the third week in April, I think, in um, in 2023. So okay, yeah. So um, so I about I don't know when I got to Dallas, Fort Worth. I started um, counting my days. I already counted them, but I posted every day, like what I was feeling that day on her um, Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And so I got a lot of positive uh, response from that. And people kept saying, keep going. You know, you know, I love to get up in the morning and read your, read your post. And, and so I posted 365 days in a row. I've never, I've never been a journaler. Not I have I had seven journals in my in my closet that had you know maybe a, a paragraph on on page one, but for some reason again this was so all different for me and I I posted every single I've I've journaled every single day since the day I put put the wine glass down. Wow. And and that just sort of turned into you know people saying oh my gosh you should write a book. Um, you know, I, I can write just because social work requires a lot of writing, <laughs> but it's a very different kind of writing. Um, but still the same sort of theme is that in, when we work with families, we, we talk about what's working in their lives right now. What are some of the worries about their lives right now? And what taking those two into consideration, what do you think your next step is going to be? I'm kind of like, that's how I wrote the book, right? Mm -hmm. what's, what's working and what are we worried about? And, and, you know, what I plan to do next. And, and so I don't consider myself to be this literary genius, but I'll tell you that because it's so open and um, honest, that it relates to a lot of people. I get a lot of of emails saying, wow, you know, um, this is exactly how I felt. This is exactly what I did. I put, you know, I hid my wine in my boots too, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, uh, it's just writing's just become my passion. Yeah. Ugh, what, when did it publish? Was it last year? Uh, it was November 1st of 2020. Yeah. Of and I just finished my audiobook, So that'll be out. It's, it's, there's no coincidences. I met this woman um, uh, in TLC and she works for a, for an audiobook um, company. Well, also she's an editor, but uh, the audiobook is part of their, their company. And I um, flew to Carlsbad in July, the end of July. And um, it's called One Audiobooks. And they are, they're just an amazing couple who, you know, they have a Christian side, a Christian book side, and they have a regular self-help book side, and they have the contract for um, John Grisham's books. Oh, wow. But just a, just a beautiful experience and pretty cathartic. And so that was really fun. A lot of people um, are into audiobooks. So we'll, mm -hmm. we'll see, how that, see how that goes. But he liked it so much that he, he is going to do the distribution. So oh, congratulations. 
But my Amazing. biggest thing about this, Jess, is that it's going into libraries. Mm. So he has access to all the all the um, audiobook platforms. But again, I'm it, it's never been um, a dream of mine to make money off the book. It's it's been to get it distributed. So yeah. that's huge. And to be in libraries is probably my biggest accomplishment, I think. So that's good. amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, that is so, so cool. So cool. And I didn't know that. Thank you for sharing that here. Mm-hmm. Um, you are a part of a lot of other things too. I mean, when we spoke earlier, just kind of through email, you uh-huh. mentioned a few things that I'd love for you to touch on if you'd like, um, which was sober in the city. Okay. And okay. is it Ola sober? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me about those. So Susie Streelman, I don't know if you ever met her, but she lives in Long Beach and she's a sober sis. So much has come out of sober sis. Jen Always. <laughs> and she wanted to have an experience where, where it would be a nice night out. Um, all the things, all the things, except, um, except the, the buzz, like everything but the buzz, right? Yeah. So she had her first, um, uh, sober in the city in Long Beach where she lives in January. And um, it was a huge success. So, you know, raffles, uh, uh, I, I, I murder her name every time, um, who wrote um, <laughs> Euphoric, Carolina Radikowski. Oh, I can see the cover. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, so this was, is like an event, a big event yeah, that people buy event. tickets to. Okay. She was the guest speaker. And then, um, and that was in Long Beach. And then we, um, uh, Susie asked me to do my book and um, and present at the one in Sacramento. Cool. In and um, Josh James from uh, Josh James, the non-alcoholic bartender, he owns he owns Ocean Beach Cafe <clears throat> in San Francisco. It's a non-alcoholic cafe, and it has a, like a complete non-alcoholic uh, bottle shop. Oh, fun. it's amazing! So um, he he would be just he's a great interview. Um, and so he was our, he was our mixologist. So we, we had, um, and people flew in from all over. I think we had more people flying because Sacramento is not the most exciting. Sorry, Sacramento. Um, <laughs> sorry guys. <laughs> the most exciting venue. So we had just a boatload of sober cis people, TLC people, uh, the luckiest club people. And, um, and that was beautiful. And we, you know, Friday night we got comped, uh, uh, a suite because we'd sold so many rooms. And so we had a meet and greet. So that was kind of the beginning of how cool is it that you can sort of hang out and not be so nervous at the main event, if that makes sense. Cause we're all, you know, even though we, we kind of know each other, we don't really know each other. And so we made that part of, uh, we're going, uh, to Austin on November 11th and that sold out in like, I don't know, 20 days. Cause Austin's kind of a hotbed for, um, uh, for recovery and Chris Marshall, who is, um, a, a TLC and also the owner of the Sands bar. Yep. He's going to be our mixologist. Jen, um, Jen from Silver Sis is our keynote speaker. Amanda Kuda is going to be speaking. Beth Bowen and Victoria Townery, who are two local uh, 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 people from uh, their coaches and somatic coaches and yoga people, um, they're going to be at our meet and greet Friday night. So this side of alcohol, 
um, my my brand is is sponsoring Friday night. So when we do sober in the city, um, you know that that will be part of uh, sober in the city moving forward. We have rock painting, um, finance class, dopamine dance, two yoga classes, a hike. Um, a dip in really cold water. Oh, so wow. all these activities are involved in the weekend now. So it just gets a little bit bigger every mm-hmm. time. Um, I and- think I had heard about that one. I have actually a sober sis. I call her my sober twin. And she's based in Texas. And she's like, Jess, you got to come. It's November. <laughs> like, come on, we got to go to this. Jen's going to be there. So I had heard about that one, but I didn't know. So this will be the second. Third. Third. Okay. Oh, how awesome. Oh, that you can just have fun without the buzz. Yeah. Everything but the buzz. Yeah. Um, uh, We talk about it in terms of we're rebranding society. We're breaking the rules by not drinking Mm -hmm. and everything but the buzz. So that's kind of our, our thing. Yeah. I'm so excited. I think we're going to end up going at least near long beach again next year, not interfering with, you know, Jennifer's, uh, uh, retreat and maybe um, in the fall going to uh, Maine. So amazing. That, yeah. Amazing. Oh, this is so good, Peggy. I just love our chat. Um, I want to know what's the most important thing in your life right now? Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing, um, kind of my North Star is paying it forward. I run a local group on Tuesday nights. Um, it's called the San Francisco NorCal Plus group. And so we Zoom every Tuesday night. Um, We kind of uh, change. I love other people to host. I don't like to be the only one hosting. And we have a topic and we talk about it. Hmm. And then we have different, uh, we've gone to Bodega Bay. They're planning on going again. So we have in-person meetings as well. So that's been a really, so there's probably about 25, 26 of us that are in that group. Then um, Ola Sober is a free program run by uh, uh, Susan Christina Creamer, and she is a fiery Irish woman that um, lives in Madrid. So she has a magazine <clears throat> called Ola Sober, which is stunning. It's an online, everything that she has is free. She has a 100 day program and uh, she has nine meetings a week. So I do the Monday morning Zoom and and Dowsett Johnson is a uh, mm-hmm. host too. And oh, wow. he, you know, wrote the book Drink. And it, I still, every time I'm, you know, every time I talk to her, I'm still starstruck. Isn't it funny that. when we get that way? <laughs> so, so amazing. And I just like, and Dowsett Johnson's talking to me. That is so weird, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just crazy yeah. and lovely. And I just love her because she was, that drink was one of the first books I I read too. And again, just the the whole thing of pinkifying and going after our daughters and um, now sons, you know, um, I just did an article about, about the um, hard seltzers and how they're directed at, at our teenage girls. And now they have one for boys. It's called happy dads. Mm. I was driving the other day, actually, my husband's probably sick of me pointing these things out when I see uh, <laughs> all the ads and stuff, but we were driving somewhere and right on one of our many uh, bars in town or little, you know, uh, pubs, mm-hmm. they had this huge sign that said like, 
come celebrate breast cancer awareness with a cold beer or a glass of, and I'm going, oh, God, I go, you have to pull over. I have to take a picture of this. Like only my, my sober people will understand how wrong this is. You know, I mean, let's have a bottle of wine to celebrate, you know, and support breast cancer. Like how many wrong things could we, could we point out about this message? <laughs> just well, like Canada, Canada just came out with a two drink a week minimum. That's a big deal. And mm. I mean, you know, as, as you go up the ladder of knowledge with alcohol, you realize that none of it is good for us, Mm-mm. but that's a big leap for Canada. And I love that they're the forefront and two drinks a week is tops, tops. and, and it's better if you don't drink at all. So I don't think I'm going to see that big shift in my lifetime, but I certainly feel proud that I can show my grandkids a different way. Amen. Yeah. They're always going, Grandma, did you bring the AF drinks? (laughs) (laughs) The AF. And those are things, I mean, honestly, though, like things that I didn't expect to be, how do I put it, like kind of make me so happy when I can just have a glass out and not be worried that my kid you know, is going to take a drink of something they shouldn't have. Like, I didn't think about that when I was getting sober, but I'll do it now where I'm like, oh gosh, like they can literally drink anything that I have out and I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. my son's getting married in November and, you know, I was able to pick out some incredible, I mean, incredible alcohol-free champagne. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And What's your um, favorite brand? It's Prima Pave. Okay. It's so good. It's I'm so going to have a lot in our show notes. We have a lot of programs, <laughs> a lot of information I'm going to have to make sure everybody knows about. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Prima Pave is fantastic. And then we're going to make margaritas with Bear. It's B-A-R-E. Oh, and so many of these companies are women, uh, women run and women founded. And it's, it's really beautiful. It is. It so is. Beautiful. All right, my dear. I just have... Let's see, just a couple more for you. So looking forward, what will this new chapter of your life enable you to do? I know you've got some years under your belt, but looking out, like, are there other things you have kind of on your list, on your bucket list? What are you going to focus on now? Uh, Writing. I get, like I said, I love, I get to write. I'm a monthly contributor for, um, for Ola Sober magazine, which is free. Um, So um, you can just sign up for it on the website, but like next week or next month, my article is going to be um, of a 14 year old. Her name is Riley. She wants us to use her name, her mom. I don't know if you know, Sarah Olson. She was Mm. a scientist too. It sounds really familiar. And she, um, she started her own program and, and uh, Riley wanted to, Riley wanted to be interviewed. She was the one that asked her mom to to stop drinking and how she feels about her mom now. And so that interview will be, so that's sort of my, in, in Ola Sober next month, that's sort of my niche. I really like to interview people. I really like to ask good questions. So, yeah. um, and more the written part. I love what, I love to be on your show. I don't, you know, Jeff and I, Jeff Graham and I do a Thursday night show, but it's more like a, you know, kind of a live stream yard, half an hour show, um, on back to zero. Um, we're, we're, we're just really good friends and yeah, just, just going forward. Um, I don't necessarily want to do any kind of program. I'm just sober in the city has really got my heart. Yeah. 
And so I see those two things, um, writing, you know, paying it forward by, you know, uh, having some uh, services there that are open to people that don't have money. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, you know, sober in the city, which is just, it's just so fun for mm-hmm. this extroverted introvert. It's like, oh my uh, God, we sold out. Oh my God, we sold out. <laughs> I could just say it two different ways. <laughs> oh, that has got to, now I'm kicking myself. So it is sold out. I'm going to have to really get on, we have get a on the wagon. Okay. We have a okay. Noted. It's going to be here before we know it. And I love that they are continuing to do it. Like, it sounds like this isn't the last one. Like you said, there's going to be more, which is exciting. All right, my friend. Well, my last one on the list is to the one or many people that are listening right now and feeling inspired Mm -hmm. to make a change. What advice would you give them? Just um, take one day at a time. I know it's so cliche, but that's how I did it. I just got to my uh, hello sober every night. And if that meant, you know, going to bed at six o'clock and in the evening, that's what I did. Um, Because if you try to say you're quitting forever, even even when I quit, um, I think it's just overwhelming. And to learn as much as you can about the science part um, and write it down if you can. Yeah. You know? Because I, for me, I can go back and see how far I've come every day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There was someone that always used to say, when in doubt, sleep it out. Yeah. Just, just go to bed. I like that. I like that. <laughs> go to bed. And I love the, the not using forever. I mean, if that works for you, do it. But that word is daunting. Even three years in, I don't think I would still say it. Like it just, it puts a lot of pressure. But Well, I do think just in closing, I mean, I have so much respect for people your age getting sober and what you do for your, for your kids. Um, you know, I kind of had that reverse thing where, you know, my kids were all your age when I started drinking. So sure. So um, at least I didn't do the early damage, but um, yeah, uh, you know, we have a couple books too, where we're doing an anthology with people over 50. It's going to be called Owl by Owl, kind of mm. play off of uh, Anne Lamont's Bird by Bird. So oldest, wisest, luckiest. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, I we'll be following up with you because we are going to have, like I said, just one heck of a toolbox uh, ready for them in our show notes with all of the amazing things we've talked about. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you, Peggy. Is there anything else you wanted to share with listeners? This was such a treat. No, it's such a treat too. I, again, I'm not trying to cross uh, advertise, but uh, I love Jen's uh, journal. So if you don't have Jen's journal, I love it. And you are one of the best artists I've ever seen. Um, Oh my gosh. (laughs) We had Amanda, we had Amanda Sharon, who's the sober illustrator at uh, San Francisco or at Sacramento too. But I just think about how the two of you are such beautiful, not only artists, but the, how you come up with those words and, and, uh, you know, short phrases that mean so much. You're really, really talented. And I just love you for it. Thank you. Well, it means a lot, seriously. And, um, I love you back. Peggy, this was a treat. And I know your story 
has already, but hopefully we'll even touch more just with this episode and everything you're doing. So thank you for being such an inspiring friend. Thanks. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, you can head over to decidedlydry.com. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe and to leave an awesome rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. It's sure been a treat spending this time with you. And just remember, if the only thing you did today was stay sober, you are winning. I'll see you next time.